Volume Three, Chapter Six of Vixen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Delic, Dallas, Texas. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Volume Three, Chapter Six: A Fool's Paradise. At Ashbourne, preparations had already begun for the wedding in August. It was to be a wedding worthy a duke's only daughter, the well-beloved and cherished child of an adoring father and mother. Kinsfolk and old friends were coming from far and wide to assist at the ceremony, for whom temporary rooms were to be arranged in all manner of places. The duchess's exquisite dairy was to be transformed into a bachelor dormitory lodges and gamekeepers cottages were utilized every nook and corner in the ducal mansion would be full why not rig up a few hammocks in the nearest pine plantation rory asked laughing when he heard all of these doings one couldn't have a better place to sleep on a sultry summer night there was to be a ball for the tenantry in the evening of the wedding day and a marquee on the lawn the gardens were to be illuminated in a style worthy of the chateau of o when Fouquet was squandering a nation's revenues on lamps and fountains and venal friends. Lady Mabel protested against all this fuss. Dear Mama, I would so much rather have been married quietly, she said. My dearest, it is all your papa's doing. He is so proud of you. And then we have only one daughter, and she is not likely to be married more than once, I hope. Why should we not have all our friends round us at such a time? Mabel shrugged her shoulders with an air of repugnance to all the friends and all the fuss. Marriage is such a solemn act of one's life, she said. It seems dreadful that it should be performed in the midst of a gaping, indifferent crowd. My love, there will not be a creature present who can feel indifferent about your welfare, protested the devoted mother. If our dear Roderick had been a more distinguished person, your papa would have had you married at Westminster Abbey there of course there would have been a crowd of idle spectators poor roderick sighed mabel it is a pity he is so utterly aimless he might have made a career for himself by this time if he had chosen he will do something by and by i dare say said the duchess excusingly you will be able to mould him as you like pet i have not found him particularly malleable here too said mabel the bride-elect was out of spirits and inclined to look despondently upon life. She was suffering the bitter pain of disappointed hopes. The tragedy of a septic soul, despite its depth of thought, its exquisite topography and vellum-like paper, had been a dire and irredeemable failure. The reviewers had ground the poor little aristocratic butterfly to powder upon the wheel of ridicule they had anatomized lady mabel's involved sentences and laughed at her eurydite phrases her mild adaptations of greek thought and fancy had been found out and held up to contempt her petty plagiarisms from french and german poets had been traced to their source the whole work no smooth and neatly polished on the outside had been turned the seamy side without and the knots and flaws and raveled threads had been exposed without pity Happily, the book was anonymous, but Mabel writhed under the criticism. There was the crushing disappointment of expectations that had soared high as the topmost throne on Parnassus. She had a long way to descend. 
and then there was the sickening certainty that in the eyes of her own small circle she had made herself ridiculous her mother took those cruel reviews to heart and wept over them the duke a coarse-minded man at best with the soul hardly above guano and chemical compost laughed aloud at his poor little girl's failure it is a sad disappointment i dare say he said but never mind my pet you'll do better next time i've no doubt or if you don't it doesn't much matter other people have fancied themselves poets and have been deceived before today those horrid reviewers don't understand her poetry protested the duchess who would have been hard pushed to comprehend it herself but who thought it was a critic's business to understand everything i'm afraid i have written above their heads lady mabel said piteously roderick vaudery was worst of all didn't i tell you the septic soul was too fine for ordinary intellects mabe he said you lost yourself in an ocean of obscurity you knew what you meant but there's no man alive who could follow you you ought to have remembered voltaire's definition of a metaphysical discussion a conversation in which the man who is talked to doesn't understand the man who talks and the man who talks doesn't understand himself you must take a simpler subject and use plainer english if you want to please the multitude mabel had told her lover before that she did not aspire to please the multitude that she would have esteemed such cheap and tawdry success a humiliating failure it was almost better not to be read at all than to be appreciated only by the average moody subscriber but she would have liked someone to read her poems she would have liked critics to praise and understand her she would have liked to have her own small world of admirers an esoteric view the salt of the earth literary essenes holding themselves apart from the vulgar herd it was dreadful to find herself on a height as lonely as one of those plateaux in the tyrolean alps where the cattle crop a scanty herbage in summer and where the ice king reigns alone through the long winter you are mistaken roderick mabel said with chilling dignity i have friends who can understand and admire my poetry incomprehensible and uninteresting as it may be to you dear mabel i never said it was uninteresting roderick cried humbly everything you do must be interesting to me but i frankly own i do not understand your verses as clearly as i think all verse should be understood why should i keep all my frankness till after the first of august why should the lover be less sincere than the husband i will be truthful even at the risk of offending you pray do cried mabel with ill-suppressed irritation sincerity is such a delightful thing no doubt my critics are sincere they give me the honest undisguised truth rory saw that his betrothed literary failure was a subject to be carefully avoided in the future my poor vixen he said to himself with oh what deep regret perhaps it was not one of the least of your charms that you never wrote poetry lord mallow was coming to ashbourne for the fortnight before the wedding he made himself wondrously agreeable to the duke and the duke had invited him the house would be up by that time it was a delightful season for the forest the heather would be in bloom on all the open heights the glades of mark ash would be a solemn world of greenery and shadow a delicious place for picnics flirtation and gypsy tea-drinkings lord mallow had only seen the forest in the winter 
it would be a grand opportunity for him he came and lady mabel received him with a sad sweet smile the reviews had all appeared by this time and except in the west dolmarsh gazette and the ratdiff highway register there had not been one favorable notice there is a dreadful unanimity about my critics is there not said the stricken poetess when she and lord mallow found themselves alone together in one of the orchid houses breathing a perfumed atmosphere at eighty degrees vaporous balmy slumberous you have made a tremendous mistake lady mabel said lord mallow how do you mean you have given the world your great book without first educating your public to receive and understand it if browning had done the same thing if browning had burst at once upon the world with the ring in the book he would have been as great a failure as as you at present imagine yourself to be you should have sent forth something smaller you should have made the reading world familiar with a style too original and of too large a power and scope to please quickly a volume of ballads and idyls a short story in simple verse would have prepared the way for your dramatic poem suppose goethe had begun his literary career with the second part of faust he was too wise for that and wrote himself into popularity with a claptrap novel i could not write a claptrap novel or claptrap verses sighed lady mabel if i cannot soar above the clouds i will never spread my poor little wings again then you must be content to accept your failure as an evidence of the tendencies of an essentially philistine age an age in which people admire brown and jones and robinson here lord mallow gave a string of names sacrificing the most famous reputations of the age to mabel ashbourne's vanity this brief conversation in the orchid house was the first healing balm that had been applied to the bleeding heart of the poetess she was deeply grateful to lord mallow this was indeed sympathy how different from roderick's clumsy advice and obtrusive affection of candor mabel determined that she would do her best to make lord mallow's visit pleasant she gave him a good deal of her society in fact all she could spare from roderick who was not an exacting lover they were so soon to be married that really there was no occasion for them to be greedy of tete-a-tete companionship they would have enough of each other's company among the norwegian fords lord mallow did not care about riding under an almost tropical sun nor did he care to expose his horse to the exasperating attacks of forest flies so he went about with the duchess and her daughter in lady mabel's pony carriage he saw schools and cottages and told the two ladies all the grand things he meant to do on his irish estate when he had leisure to do them you must wait till you are married said the duchess good-naturedly ladies understand these details so much better than gentlemen mabel more than half planned those cottages you admired just now she took the drawings out of the architect's hands and altered them according to her own taste and as a natural result the cottages are perfection exclaimed lord mallow that visit to ashbourne was one of the most memorable periods in lord mallow's life he was an impressible young man and he had been unconsciously falling deeper in love with lady mabel every day during the last three months her delicate beauty her culture her elegance her rank all charmed and fascinated him but her sympathy with erin was irresistible it was not the first time that he had been in love by a great many times the list of the idols he had worshipped stretched backwards to the dim remoteness of boyhood 
but to-day awakening all at once to a keen perception of his hapless state he told himself that he had never loved before as he loved now he had been hard hit by miss tempest yes he acknowledged that past weakness he had thought her fairest and most delightful among women and he had left the abbey house dejected and undone but he had quickly recovered from the brief fever and now reverentially admiring lady mabel's prim propriety he wondered that he could have ever seriously offered himself to a girl of vixen's undisciplined and unbroken character i should have been a miserable man by this time if she had accepted me he thought she did not care a straw about the people of ireland he was deeply hopelessly irrecoverably in love and the lady he loved was to be married to another man in less than a week the situation was too awful what could such a woman as mabel ashbourne see in such a man as roderick vaudrey that is a kind of question which has been asked very often in the history of men and women lord mallow could find no satisfactory answer thereto mr vaudrey was well enough in his way he was good-looking sufficiently well-bred he rode well was a first-rate shot and could give an average player odds at billiards surely these were small claims to the love of a tenth muse a rarely accomplished and perfect woman if lord mallow in his heart of hearts thought no great things of lady mabel's poetic effusions he not the less respected her for the effort the high-souled endeavor a woman who could read euripides who knew all that was best in modern literature was a woman for a husband to be proud of in this desperate and for the most part unsuspected condition of mind lord mallow hung upon lady mabel's footsteps during the days immediately before the wedding roderick was superintending the alterations at briarwood which were being carried on upon rather an extravagant scale to make the mansion worthy of the bride lord mallow was always at hand in the orchid houses carrying scissors and adjusting the hose in the library in the gardens in the boudoir he was drinking greedily of the sweet poison this fool's paradise of a few days must end in darkness desolation despair everything dreadful beginning with d but the paradise was so delicious an abode that although an angel with a flaming sword in the shape of conscience was always standing at the gate lord mallow would not be thrust out he remained in defiance of conscience and honor and all those good sentiments that should have cancelled his speedy departure end of volume three chapter six recording by candace Dallas, Texas.